Wonderful. It's great to be with you. And uh, in answer to everyone's question this morning, we, we, had a, we had an absolutely wonderful journey up. You guys obviously know you have a reputation as a place where people sometimes find it more difficult to get to because of that wonderful thing called the M6. But uh, it was all on our side this morning, and uh, we, had, we had a great journey. We even got to, uh, we'd allowed time to stop for breakfast, hadn't realized where the last motorway services that you can pull off are, went past it. And so I said to Ruth, I said, get on Google Maps. I said, we're going to go through Ormskirk. I'm sure there'll be somewhere in Ormskirk that we can get some breakfast. And we, we found this delightful place in a retirement home. And um, so if you, if you need, if you need a, a breakfast on a Sunday morning, they open at nine. It was delicious. And, uh, and I can highly recommend it. I can't remember what it was called, but um, there can't be that many cafes and retirement homes in Ormskirk. I'm sure you'll find it. But, uh, so anyway, that was our journey. <coughs> Um, Dave, uh, it's, it's, it, it, it's, it, 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 was, it was a lovely introduction from Dave, and, 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 and it's, a, it's a safe introduction in this house, but um, it's, often a bit of a, it's often a bit of a double-edged sword when you go somewhere and someone introduces you as a prophet, because everyone has an idea in their mind of what a prophet is, and it's very rarely me. Um, <laughs> and so they're all sitting there the whole time going, where's the prophet bit? Um, where, where am I, when am I going to get, uh, when am I going to get the uh, kind of, you know, the fire and brimstone and the, uh, um, but um, what, 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 I'm, what I'm here to do this morning, apparently we're going to do this in a few parts, uh, I'm going to talk for a short time, so that's the first miracle, and, and then I think Jeff is going to come and do some, some, a bit of Q&A, so I don't, I don't know whether that's cues from you or just all the questions that I'm going to oppose Jeff in the next 20 minutes. Um, but there may be an opportunity for you to, to ask some questions. Uh, but really, the, 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 the brief I've been given, and I know that this is something Kerry had asked um, all the churches to do, and I know Kerry was with you recently this year, just to go back and look again at the Ascension Gift Ministries, the Apostle, Prophet, Evangelist, Pastor, and Teacher. And um, in Ephesians 4, I think actually makes it really clear what these ministries are for collectively. And um, so I'm just going to read to you from there. In Ephesians 4, verse 11, He, that's the ascended Christ, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So this is the first thing that all of these five ministries are here to do. It's to equip every member, every believer, every disciple of Jesus to be effective in ministry. Okay, so the, 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 the role of all of these uh, ministries is, is, is really to work themselves out of a job and to impart whatever they have of Christ to the body so that we can all be effective in the ministry that God has called us to. And if you don't know exactly what your ministry is, that really doesn't matter because there's enough general kind of standing orders that Jesus has given us to keep us going for a lifetime. You know, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, said Jesus. And let's see if you can finish that. Acts 1, uh, verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Wonderful. You know, it's amazing how many places you go, and people don't know how that verse ends. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you get lots of lovely tingles down your spine. Or um, you might get some spiritual gifts, or, or you might have, you know, long and beautiful times of worship. No, those aren't any of the things that Jesus said that the Holy Spirit was coming upon people to do. It was to be his witnesses, 
to be those who testify about Jesus. You know, that's, that's really enough to keep all of us going uh, for the whole of our time on earth. Um, that's a big enough ministry. But it says it's to equip the saints for the work of ministry, and as you work through it, so that the church comes to maturity and to the fullness of Christ. And that's the goal, again, of all the ministries. Paul says this, doesn't he, in Colossians 1, that his, his aim is to present every person complete and mature in Christ. And uh, that's, that's the, again, that's the goal of the ministries, for you to become the fullness of who God intends you to be in Christ, that whatever he has put into you, in your character, in your personality, in your gift, in your faith, in your grace, to bring that to the fullness so that it fully displays that, that little bit of Jesus that you uniquely display. Isn't that a wonderful thing, that together we're the body of Christ, but there is something unique. 1 Corinthians 12 says, I think in, in, one, of the, in one of the more modern translations, there is something unique given to everyone by the Spirit. There is something specifically that God has for you to do to display something of Jesus that no one else can quite do the way that you're intended to do it. And that's what the ministries, that's what these Ascension Gift ministries are here to do, to bring us all to that, that full expression of, of to be the, 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 the best display of Christ that I can possibly be. And... Um, in, in kind of generally kind of filling out what does that look like as far as the prophet's concerned, what I want to do this morning is give you, <coughs> sorry, just in, a, in a, a, a very quick walkthrough of the book of Acts, four ways um, that uh, prophetic ministry works towards the church, okay? Four ways that prophetic ministry works towards the church. And uh, the first one... Um, the first one is this, is the, the first example we get of prophetic ministry in the book of Acts isn't from Ascension Gift Ministries, it's not from Ephesians 4 Ministries, it's actually from Old Testament prophets. And the early chapters of the book of Acts are full of examples where the church is receiving the ministry of Old Testament prophets. So for example, in Acts 2, how does Peter explain and understand what is happening on the day of Pentecost with the outpouring of the Spirit? He quotes the prophet Joel, and he says, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Okay, so he's drawing on the ministry of these men who'd been dead for centuries, but their words were still alive. In fact, <coughs> Peter himself tells us, in Acts chapter 3, he says, you are the children of the prophets. And then in 1 Peter 1 verse 10, he, he tells us that, that the prophets who prophesied inquired of the Spirit of Christ in them, the things that they were uh, speaking, um, discerning the Christ and the subsequent glories. And it says, and it was revealed to them that they were not speaking of their own time, but of ours. And so Peter says the prophets understood that their ministry essentially was was not primarily for their own day. Their ministry ultimately was for the, the time of the church, and everything that the prophets spoke about was effectively about the suffering of Christ, that's Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, and the glories that would follow. That's his resurrection, the outpouring of the Spirit, the formation of the church, the church coming to fullness and glory and displaying Christ in the world. That's what the Old Testament prophets were speaking about. And so if we want to embrace the ministry of the prophet, the first thing we need to be doing is actually reading the Old Testament prophets because they tell us about our, ourselves and they tell us about our days. And they help us frame 
our understanding of the world in the way that God wants us to understand the world. They help us to understand it from, understand things from God's perspective. They speak of a time, don't they, coming when God's going to pour out, Joel said, his spirit on all flesh. But there are similar ideas in many of the prophets, and it's speaking about our day. And we need some discernment of the Holy Spirit, and we need the ministry of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to help us with this. But to see how what they were saying, you know, we, we understand, don't we, that, that in the coming of the kingdom of God, there are some things that have come and there are some things that are yet to come. We often talk about the now and the not yet of the kingdom of God. And to understand what are the things that we are already receiving, what are the things that we're still looking to receive, and, and what are the things that perhaps only talk about the time when Christ himself will return. But it helps us build up a, a, what we could call a prophetic worldview of seeing the world the way that God sees it and seeing the, what is happening in this world according to God's agenda and God's purpose and not in merely human interpretation. So Peter says in, um, in Acts 2.16, this is that. So he said, right now, here is the fulfillment of what Joel was speaking. He's pouring out his spirit on all flesh. And it's interesting that Acts 2 quotes, it begins in verse 17, in the last days I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And it ends, he ends the quote in verse 21, and it shall come to pass that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. <coughs> That's the key characteristic of the outpouring of the Spirit, is that we now live in a season where whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That salvation is now universally possible because of the preaching of the gospel and the presence of the Spirit in the world to convict people of their sin and to turn them to Christ. So the first the first thing as the church in terms of receiving prophetic ministry is that we've got to be open to receiving the ministry of the prophets who prophesied all those centuries ago because they're speaking about today. And they're speaking about our time. The next, um, the next uh, um, thing I want to draw our attention to is the ministry of, of, a, of, a, of one particular prophet who's named for us in the New Testament in the book of Acts. And that's a man called Agabus. And um, if, we, if you have a look in Acts 11, and uh, we'll read from verse 27. It says, Now in those days prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, prophets plural, by the way, and one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine all over the world, and this took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea, and they did so, sending it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Here is one of the, one of the ways that, that, that prophetic ministry operates in the churches. This is one of the ways that prophets operate in the churches. That is, they bring um, the Word of God to prepare God's people for what's about to take place. And uh, we, we know, don't we, the, 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 the kind of the phrase forewarned is forearmed. If you know what's coming, you can be ready. And that's exactly what happens here. They come and say there's a, there's a famine coming, and um, 
there's, there's some, some very interesting practical things we can draw from this passage about prophetic ministry. First of all, it, Agabus is named, but it says there are a company of prophets, and God seems to have a way of always making sure that prophets don't operate in isolation, but they operate in, in companies, in groups. Um, and even though this is the only uh, word that's recorded here, I'm pretty sure that there would have been a lot of other prophesying going on at the same time as well, with this company of prophets coming from Jerusalem to Antioch. Um, but then, having brought the word, it's, it's left to the church to decide what to do with it. And um, uh, that, again, that's, I think that's one of the safeguards that God puts in to prophetic ministry. Often when you find people that are critical of the idea of prophecy or of prophetic ministry, they say, well, it's, it's open to abuse. Um, one person becomes far too important. Well, that doesn't happen here. Agabus just says, this is what's going to happen. And it's the church that, that weigh that word and weigh their response to that word and decide, well, we better, we better take up a, an offering and send it down to the, the people in Jerusalem. How they knew that Jerusalem was going to be in greater need than they were, I don't know, but, but that's what they knew. There was a, a discerning in their hearts of how they were going to respond. They were ready. They were prepared. The other instance we have where a, a particular prophecy of Agabus is recorded for us comes in, um, uh, I think it's, oh, why have I not got the reference written down? I think it's in Acts 22. Anyway, it's when Paul is on his way to Jerusalem, where he's finally going to get arrested. He's going to be held under arrest in um, Judea for a while, and ultimately he's going to be sent to Rome to appear before Caesar. And it says everywhere that he was going, people were, were imploring him by the Spirit uh, that, that uh, trouble and um, imprisonment awaited him in Jerusalem and pleaded with him not to go. But when he gets to, um, it's Acts 21, by the way, I think, is that right? Yeah, Acts 21. When he gets to Caesarea, uh, where Philip lives, Philip the evangelist, he goes to Philip's house, and it says that Agabus comes down from Jerusalem and meets him at Caesarea. And again, it also tells us, intriguingly, it says, now Philip had four daughters who all prophesied. I don't know why Luke chose to include that there. I think he's obviously clearly telling us again, here is a prophetic company. I wonder whether, whether Philip was, you know, concerned that he had four unmarried daughters and he knew that Luke was writing a book that was going to be distributed among all the churches, and just said, hey, Luke, why not mention somewhere in there that my girls are all really good spiritual girls, they all prophesy, and none of them are married. Could you just, little editorial in there, before you send it? I don't know. Um, one of the conversations I've got queued up to have when I get to heaven. Um, but Agabus comes and he prophesies, and, he, and he, he's very dramatic. He takes Paul's belt and he ties himself up with Paul's belt, and he says, this is what will happen to the owner of this if he goes to Jerusalem. But the interesting thing here is what the prophet didn't say that everyone else was saying. Everyone was saying, if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to get in prison. And, and Agabus said that as well. But everyone else said, don't go to Jerusalem. Agabus didn't say that. I find that really interesting. And I think it illustrates something that often happens 
when all of us, your sons and daughters may prophesy. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters may prophesy. God wants us all to prophesy. We all catch a sense of what God is saying. Everywhere that Paul was going, <clears throat> it was the same sense. They were sensing in the spirit. It was by the Holy Spirit. They were sensing trouble is waiting for Paul in Jerusalem. But then for most people, their natural thinking kicked in as well. And they said, there's going to be trouble, so don't go. <laughs> Agabus just says, there's going to be trouble. He doesn't tell him not to go. And I think one of the things that's illustrating is perhaps the, 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 the difference in the measure of the gift and the insight that the prophet has compared to everyone who catches a sense of what the Holy Spirit is saying. And one of the ways that we can all seek to kind of emulate and grow in maturity as well is that we don't jump to conclusions about what something the Holy Spirit tells us means. You see, Paul knew, Paul knew right from the beginning of his ministry that he was going to speak before kings and rulers. And he obviously knew, because he says, he says to the Ephesian elders, you know, I, you know, what, what, you know, I know that trouble awaits me. But he knew that, that as, a, as, a, as a Roman citizen, probably his best bet at getting to speak to the emperor was to get in trouble and keep appealing to a higher authority, which was his right as a Roman citizen. Until ultimately, he would actually get to present his case before the emperor. And of course, for Paul, that meant to share the gospel. And so... The, 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 the word from, from everybody, but then particularly the word from Agabus, confirms him and prepares him and allows him to know, this is, I'm going the right way. Because actually, I don't want to avoid trouble, because I know trouble is going to be God's means of, of getting me to where he wants to be. He'd been in prison enough times to realize and to learn that, that God had a way of working through those situations and bringing, um, bringing the gospel out. <coughs> you look what happens in, in Philippi, yeah, where he and, uh, and, and um, Silas get put in prison. And, uh, you know, there's an earthquake and the chains fall off and, they, and, and, the, and the, the jailer thinks that everyone's escaped and he's ready to kill himself. And Paul says, no, 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 we're all still here. And he, he leads that whole family to the Lord and that's the beginning of the, the Philippian church. He knew that that trouble and imprisonment were actually no, whoop, my word, sorry about that, were, were no impediment to the gospel. And so here he's ready and he's prepared, thank you, by the prophetic word. It's, it's, it's allowed him to be ready. So the, the word coming to prepare, okay, so that's often a way that the prophetic ministry works towards the church. A word comes that prepares you for what's coming ahead. The next one I want to look at is in Acts 13. And it says this at the beginning of Acts 13, that we're in the church in Antioch, prophets and teachers... Barnabas, Barnabas and Simeon, who's called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, the lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. 
While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. And then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Okay, so here's, here's the third way that I think that prophetic ministry works into the church. It's to instigate new seasons in the purposes of God. It's this directive prophecy. This is the time. It's interesting that, that neither Barnabas nor Saul, who becomes known as Paul, are commissioned into or told at this point that they're apostles. Okay, it's not about saying, oh, by the way, you're apostles, or somehow kind of like, you know, commissioning them to being apostles. They, they already knew this. Set them apart for the work to which I have called them. Paul knew this from his conversion. We don't know about Barnabas, but um, um, there's clearly he must have already had a, at least a sense of what God was calling him to. But what the Holy Spirit is saying here is, this is now the time. This is the time for a new season, for a new phase. These men are prepared. The church is prepared. If you remember, they had been in Antioch for a year. And the reason that they were in Antioch is that Barnabas is sent from the church in Jerusalem. He goes down to see what's going on in Antioch. It says, when he saw the grace of God, he went to Tarsus to find Saul and brought him there. And they stayed there for a year teaching the church. And so Barnabas goes, and it says he sees the grace of God, but he obviously also saw some lack and some need, because he thought, what this situation needs, it needs Saul. I'm going to go and find him. And they came down, and they spent a year teaching the church. And what a wonderful commendation on these two men. We've got a, a, a leadership of five mentioned here. And after laboring for a year, first of all, there's, there's gone from two of them to five of them, and the church is ready to send the two of them away. Um, isn't, isn't that a wonderful kind of commendation of their ministry? And so the Holy Spirit says, it's time for a new season. It's time for the next step. It's time <coughs> uh, for Barnabas and Saul to head off. Now, I don't know why that fell off last time. Am I gonna... Being a little cautious. Let's hope that stays there. It's time for, it's time for a, a new season in the purposes of God. And um, God often uses prophets and prophetic ministries and the, and the gift of prophecy to instigate something new in God's purpose. And um, sometimes those things come as a surprise, but more often than not, I'm sure it, like it was for Barnabas and Saul here, there's a sense of, I knew that's what God was calling me to, but now I know the time. Now I know that this is the time. And that, that, and that idea of, 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 of knowing the times. In, in, um, back in the book of Chronicles, it talks about the sons of Issachar who, who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. Um, and, you know, that, that's, that's, a, that's very much kind of part of the prophetic ministry is to understand the times. That can be in the big sense of things, what's going on in the world, what kind of a state is the world in. It can also be a much more local thing. What's God doing among this people? To understand the seasons and the times of God and to know what should happen next. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. It wasn't Menaean and Simeon. It was Barnabas and Saul. It was those were the two that it's, this was the time for them to go and take the gospel into places it had never been preached before. 
Okay, so, so far we've said that, there's, that we've, we've covered three, three ways that prophetic ministry works into the church today. One is the continuing ministry of the Old Testament prophets who teach us about the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. They teach us about what the, the, the kingdom of God and how the kingdom comes and the times that we live in. Um, the second one is... <coughs> Um, is bringing directive, uh, is bringing words that prepare us for what is, for something that is coming, so that we are not taken by surprise or unaware, but we're ready. And uh, you know, sometimes, um, and I remember talking this with with, with Dave and, um, and and Harry on a podcast back during lockdown, and and uh, about um, the prophetic word, and I was reflecting on how at the beginning of 2020. In the church in Coventry, we'd, had, we'd taken January that year to, to, to pray and to wait on God. And God spoke a number of prophetic words. And not one of them said, a pandemic is coming and you're going to be stuck in your homes for months. But, but in hindsight, they prepared us for what was coming. Because God had talked to us about the importance of knowing his presence in our homes. Um, he'd talked to us about being prepared in the secret place so that we would be ready to go out into the streets. And there was a number of things that you look back and you thought, we were ready. Now, I'm also challenged to think, should we have dug in a bit deeper and asked God for a bit more detail on some of these things? Maybe we could have been even better prepared. But, but, and I've met a number of people where, where they said, you know, God prepared us in the things that he had been saying to us. God prepared us for this season that came. And um, you know, I think that's, that's a, a good example of that. Then we've, then we've talked about this kind of instigating of new seasons. Now's the time. Send these guys off to this place. And then the final one, and this one probably is the one that, that we probably experience most frequently. And um, this we can go to, back to Acts 15. And um, you know in Acts 15, <coughs> um, there have now been some teachers that have come from Jerusalem to Antioch. Um, and apparently they hadn't been sent, they'd just decided to go down. Uh, let's go down to Antioch and teach them some stuff, seems to be their attitude. And they get down there and they start to teach the Gentile Christians that to be a real Christian, it's always a, always, always a dangerous prefix to anything, to be a real Christian, <laughs> uh, you need to obey the law of Moses. So uh, stop eating those bacon butties and uh, let me just sharpen my flint knife. <laughs> And you saw all the men suddenly kind of <laughs> shrinking back into their seats. And, um, and, 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 Paul and Paul and Barnabas go, hang on, this is, this is, we've got a problem here. That's not the gospel that we preach. And if you've come from Jerusalem and that's the gospel they preach, then we've got a big problem here. So they go to Jerusalem and they meet with the apostles and the elders. And everyone debates and debates the scripture and a decision is made, they come to a consensus, and James seems to be the presiding apostle there, and they write a letter, and they send it to the church in Antioch, and effectively send it to the whole of the Gentile church. And they say, you do not need to keep the, the law of Moses to be a Christian. In fact, the only thing we want you to do is to remember the poor. That's the only law, if you like, that they put upon them, to remember the poor. And in addition to writing the letter and giving it to Barnabas and Paul to take back to Antioch, they send Judas and Silas along. And in, in chapter 15, verse 32, it says, um, Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the believers. 
I've always enjoyed that passage because it's that verse, because it's my proof text for long sermons, um, that it was through saying much, it was through their many words that they, that they, uh, they encouraged the people. Um, but actually, there's a bit more context to it than this, because in the letter that they wrote from Jerusalem, it actually says this in verse 27 of chapter 15, therefore, we're sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. So the apostles send some prophets to be able to confirm what the apostolic teaching is. And it's a very simple teaching. You don't have to keep the law of Moses, just remember the poor. Now, it doesn't sound like that needs lots of words, does it? It doesn't sound like you need, but prophets are very good at coming up with lots of words (laughs) to affirm, but also to fill out the apostolic doctrine. And it says they, they set through their many words, they strengthened and encouraged the believers. Okay? And so this is one of the ways that the, that the ministry of apostles and prophets interact. The apostles say, this is the doctrine, this is the decision, this is what we're going to teach. And the prophets come and say, you know, it's a very simple message, but I've got a whole Bible to expound on it from. <laughs> Let me show you what the prophet Nahum had to say about this. <laughs> Let me show you how Leviticus relates to this. Let me, and the prophets will go and they will dig into the Scripture and they will fill out and say, look, this isn't just some kind of best guess judgment that the apostles have made. This isn't just some kind of random they've heard from the Holy Spirit. This is how our gospel ties in with everything that God has ever said. And you'll certainly find some prophets who will tell you an awful lot about everything that God has ever said. (laughs) But they have this ability to, to, to take the apostolic teaching and say, let me fill that out for you. Let me, let me make your vision expound on that. And it says that in doing that, they encouraged and strengthened the believers. Okay, let me, uh, let me just tell you a little bit about these two words, to encourage and strengthen. So the word encourage is a word in the New Testament that's commonly associated with prophecy, and it's also sometimes translated as to comfort, to exhort, or to urge. And it is the verb, if you like a bit, anyone like a bit of Greek? Okay. It's the verb parakalio, which is the verb form of the noun paraklesis, which is the word from which we get the name of the Holy Spirit, the paraclete or the comforter. Okay, so prophecy that encourages is doing the work of the comforter, the advocate, the helper, the Holy Spirit. Okay, so if you can imagine that kind of the way that the Holy Spirit comforts and encourages you, that's what prophecy is supposed to do. That's what the the many words of Judas and Silas were doing. And uh, if, I can, if I can read you a little quotation from the Theological Dictionary of the New Testament, one of my favorite books. It's one, of the, it's one of the about half a dozen books. When I had to go and pack all of my books into storage when we moved house, there was about half a dozen that I realized that only half a dozen I really ever read on a regular basis. And, and, and this was one of them, the Theological Dictionary of the New Testament, which is much more interesting than it sounds. But it says this about the word paraclesis, it says it is the, uh, the admonition, oh, sorry, it says the admonition is not sharp, polemical, or critical, even though it is serious and urgent. The fact that comfort 
can be another meaning points in the same direction. So when it talks about this word being an exhortation, it's not saying that someone coming along with something sharp to poke you, or something polemical to argue, or something critical to kind of tell you you're doing it wrong. It says it doesn't mean that, but it does mean that it's serious and urgent. Okay, so the prophetic word doesn't come to criticize, doesn't come to cut you down, doesn't come to win an argument, but it does come with urgency and seriousness. It is a serious word. It's, a, it's an important thing. This is what it means to, that's what it means to be, to encourage, to come with a word that is both serious and urgent, to remind us of the urgency of the gospel, to remind us of the seriousness of the purpose that we've been called to. I don't know whatever else you do in life, whatever else gets you, um, gets, gives you a sense of fulfillment, whatever else you feel that you have an obligation to, whether it's job or family or anything else, the number one call on your life is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's really what we're all here for. That was the reason you came back up out of the waters of baptism and weren't just left under there because that would have got you to heaven really quick. Okay, and the fact that God didn't want you in heaven straight away is because he has a serious and urgent purpose for you on this world, which is to be a witness to Jesus Christ and a proclaimer of the gospel. And prophetic ministry will come and will continually remind you what we're part of is serious and it's urgent. And then the second word that is used here is to strengthen. And in the book of Acts, it's always used in this idea of strengthening the faith. It's a, it's a kind of a, a, spiritual, a spiritual word from a kind of physical metaphor of being made stronger. Um, I've just realized I've got the Greek word written down here, and I've not checked this before, but the Greek word is, is sterizo, and I'm going to check when I get home as to whether that's related to the word steroid. I would love it if it did. If the prophetic word meant that I put you on steroids, wouldn't that be wonderful? But I'm not saying it does. It's just a little thought that's coming to my head. <laughs> and it has this idea of strengthening or establishing, making something firm, and rooted. Literally, it means to fix or to set in place. And isn't that a wonderful thing to, to know? Not, not, not to make us kind of like boring and immobile, but to fix and to set you in place on the rock that is Jesus Christ. That's what, that's what the prophetic ministry is, is, is going to do. It's going to come and make you strong by making you even more fixed into Christ than you were before. And... Um, <coughs> And it refers, usually in the book of Acts, it refers to this spiritual activity as a combination of, of the Word of God, the work of the Holy Spirit, um, spiritual gifts being in operation, and the, the ministers of the gospel um, bringing people to this place of greater mat maturity and stability and certainty. That's what it means to be strengthened. Isn't that a wonderful thing? So... Four ways that the prophetic ministry needs to be working into the community church, the ministry of the Old Testament prophets, the word that comes to forewarn you and prepare you, the word that comes to initiate something new in the purposes of God, and the words that continually come to fill out the gospel by strengthening and encouraging God's people. So, 
now, hopefully, if, you see, if I could do that as a preamble before every, every time I get introduced as a prophet, I would be much more comfortable uh, because, because <laughs> then, then perhaps people would expect something closer to what I think we find in the Scripture. Now, that's not an entirely exhaustive, um, but I think it gives us four good ideas and four that you can all find. When you read the book of Acts now, you'll start seeing these jump off the page. So hopefully we've left some time because we both want to give some time to a little bit of Q&A and also to, and let me flag this now before we get there. I, I felt this morning, one of the ways, one of the ways that, that, that ministers minister isn't just through their preaching, isn't prophets, isn't just even through their prophesying, but there's also an impartation of gift and anointing that comes through the laying on of hands. And I do want to make sure we've got some time this morning. I would like to lay hands on anyone that feels stirred that they want to um, be deepened in their prophetic gifting or receive the gift of prophecy for the first time just through the impartation of, of, of hands and prayer. I believe that's what God has got for us this morning as well. But before then, time for a little bit of Q&A. Good. Matthew, that was fantastic. I, I have to admit, I was scribbling notes as fast as I could. <laughs> I actually gave up. Right. Because I think I'm going to just get, get onto YouTube or onto our church channel and watch it again, listen to it again, take notes again. I found that great. I found that those four little pegs to hang things on were incredibly useful. Matthew was with us back in the end of June. Yep. Do you remember? Um, came on a Sunday and then again <coughs> in midweek when we were talking about the gift of prophecy. And if you weren't able to be here or to see that, to, to, uh, to, to hear that, I really do commend you to go online. It'll be on our website somewhere uh, and, and listen to that and, and look into that because I think that, that uh, those two sessions were the best two sessions I've ever heard on the gift of prophecy. It was outstanding. So please Good, go back and look at that again. Um, yeah. And I don't know what questions to ask you now um, <laughs> because I didn't keep enough notes. Um, but clearly we see in Scripture there is a difference between the gift of prophecy and the ministry of a prophet. Yeah. Um, the gift of prophecy is the gift of the Spirit. The prophet is a, a ministry of the ascended Christ. Um, we must all desire er earnestly to prophesy. We can't desire ourselves into a ministry gift right, because yeah. that's Christ's um, gift. But when you prophesy as a prophet, how would you see that differing or does it differ from what the gift of prophecy? Yeah, very good. So I, I would say in some ways it doesn't differ very much. I think it's probably a, a, an issue of, of, of the measure of the gift and all gifts. When God gives you, first gives you a gift, it kind of comes in a seed form and, and, and you, you kind of nurture it and it grows. Um, so actually in terms of prophesying, I think that there isn't really a difference between a prophet prophesying and anyone else prophesying. I think sometimes there will be things that God uses. I mean, we gave the example, example of Agabus in that I think his prophetic word was actually, was, was actually more disciplined and sharper because he didn't elaborate on it. Um, I also think that um, uh, in um, the example in Acts 13, you've got these kind of direct... This, is, this, was, this was perhaps certainly one of the top you know, three or five 
significant prophetic words recorded to us in Scripture because it's, it's really the first time that there's a deliberate mission to take the gospel to the Gentile world. And so it seems to me that in, when there's something of that scope and significance, God is going to use, um, is going to use those who've already been tried and tested and recognized in their ministry as prophets to bring a prophetic word that is, is going to actually make such a, a massive, uh, significant change to what's been done up until then. Excellent. Thank you. Now, rather than me asking questions, has anybody got a question that we would like to ask? I see that hand at the back, Harry. The question was, what has been the major influences for you in the development of your prophetic ministry? Yeah, I mean, I, I, think, um, I, I think for me, there, there are two, and they would be the two people that I would count as spiritual fathers. And one of those is my natural father, Tony, that many of you know and remember. And the other would be uh, Kerry Jones. Um, and they're uh, both in, in terms of learning from my father, learning and being, in, being able to travel with him, be with him in different contexts. And, and then the, the much wider company of ministries, um, you know, I, I, I grew up in this house, you know, not this one in Southport, but this house that we're part of together, this move of God, um, and learning from that. And, and I would say from Kerry and the space and the encouragement um, that he gave in that would be uh, the, the two biggest. So it's being, it's, and, and I think that's true for, that's, you know, that's something that is kind of, it, it works for everyone. Being with those who are, um, are able to disciple you because they have a similar gift um, and being with those who are able to kind of, if you like, disciple you because they have a, a particular uh, responsibility and oversight that God has given them. Yeah. And so, you know, being around those with like gift and being, uh, you know, um, submitting your life to those who have a, a spiritual oversight for you is, uh, is, I think, is key for all of us in growing in the gifts that God has for us. Amen. Yes. Iron sharpening iron. Yeah. Anybody else? I think you've answered every oh. question. <laughs> Got another one there. Maya. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I think it's it's a it's really it's really interesting actually that the. Um, Can you just repeat the question slightly? Yes. In case. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So um, making the point that, that the more the much more important thing about what what Luke is saying about Philip's daughters is that they're being mentioned as single, spiritually gifted, ministering women, um, and and I think the. Um, one of the things that you find when you read through particularly Luke as a gospel and then into Acts is that Luke brings women very much to the fore. Um, and um, it seem, it's, it's to the point that it, it must be a key part of what, what, he's, trying to, what he's trying to say uh, and the point that he's trying to make. 
and um, this is uh, there's 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 a lot of there's a lot of debate um, around whether um, the ascension gift ministries that are mentioned in Ephesians 4 are they are they all men or are they men and women? And sadly, this verse doesn't kind of answer it for us because it says they prophesy, and Agabus is a prophet, and you can still kind of take that either way. Um, personally. I, I lean much more to the point that this is, he's not trying to make a linguistic distinction, but he's trying to actually include them. And in fact, it's the, from my, from the way I'm, I'm, I'm kind of the point I want, I'm trying to draw out that it's important that it's a prophetic company. These four daughters of Philip is what makes the, it a prophetic company, which if you like, almost not gives Agabus the legitimacy to prophesy, but shows how God is bringing and creating and saying, I, I won't ever let a word, a prophetic word of significance come into us, into a, into a context where there aren't others of a prophetic gift who are able to be part of the weighing, the judging, and the, and the amening of that. So I, I, think, I think what Luke is actually doing there, so I'm making a joke because, you know, it's nice to make a joke, but actually what he is, I think what he is doing, whether he's, not, unfortunately, he's not answering the question for us directly in this passage about female prophets, but what he is telling us is, here are a group of women who are vital, if you like, to this very important um, instance in the, in the life of Paul and in the life of the gospel in order to facilitate Paul. Caesarea is his last chance to make a decision. Am I going to Jerusalem or not? And he makes this, yes, this is what God has got for me and I'm going. And of course, we can't, we can't read too much into the scripture, but equally, how many meetings have you been to where everyone's there together? You've got four people, in this case, all single women, who are known for their prophetic gift, and the only thing that happens is one person speaks one short prophetic word. That's not a church meeting I've ever been to. Okay, so I'm sure there was lots of other words and lots of other things coming. We just get the edited highlights. But I think Luke is very much making the point of that, is very much making the point of, um, you know, I think um, when, when you look at um, um, it's, it, the whole thing around single people, I think is really important as well. You've got Lydia um, in, in Philippi. Um, you've got presumably Phoebe uh, at the end of the book of Romans. There's, you know, Lydia, we get a little bit more of the story. It's quite obvious there isn't a husband around. Phoebe... You know, it, it would have been highly unlikely culturally at that time for her to have been traveling if she were married without her husband. You know, so you've probably got, again, two prominent women, um, single women. Uh, a lot of the women around Jesus, we don't know whether they were single or married. Um, but actually, even that is interesting in that it's not, they're not validated by whether they're married or not. They're validated by being disciples of Jesus and how they minister with him. So I think it is, it is, it is, um, it is a kind of a, 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 I think Luke is very much doing that. He's very much bringing that to the fore. It's interesting, I mean, completely off topic now, but singleness, I think, is much more um, um, prominent and celebrated in the New Testament than it is in many church circles today. You know, Jesus was single. Uh, Paul was single. Um, and I think quite likely a lot of the other people that were traveling with him, with him were. I mean, the idea that Timothy had a wife somewhere that only ever got to saw him, see him every few years or so is, is very unlikely. Um, so I think, that's, it, it, I think Luke is very much making that point. And, uh, and, and we, 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 we've got to learn to 
if you like, take some of our filters off when we read what the New Testament is saying around those things. Lynn. So you obviously ministered the gifts of the Holy Spirit and you would prophesy. Mm. When did it change and become a calling as a prophet? When were you recognized or how were you recognized as then? Was it a direct from God you knew you were called as a prophet? Yeah, so, so for me there were, three, there were three significant things that happened. One was when I was 17 and I was reading the scripture in my bedroom by myself and I read from Jeremiah 1, where God calls Jeremiah, and, and just the Holy Spirit said to me, and I'm calling you as well. So that was, that was for me when I was 17, I knew that. And then probably about 10 years later, I was in a, a, a small gathering that Kerry had called, and he had called some of, the, some of the men he was working with and asked them all to bring a spiritual son with them. And, um, and I went along with, with my dad. And we were sat there, and Kerry said to me at that point in that context, with about 20, 25 of us in the room, he said, you said, you were here as a young prophet. And, uh, and, that was, and I thought that was great, and that was nice to be. And this is, this is one of the things that I think is interesting. We talk about recognizing ministries, but I think there's a difference between recognizing and commissioning. And I think we saw that in Acts 13. I, I think that certainly, uh, certainly Saul and Barnabas knew what they were called to, and others, certainly some others did as well, not, not least um, um, Ananias, who prophesied over, over, over Paul when he got saved. So there's a recognition and a confirmation that someone of, of, of stature and, um, you know, recognized gift sees something in you that you have already seen in yourself. And then there came a time and this was probably about another five years again after that, where we had, uh, after an elders conference, Kerry called a bunch of people down to Cardiff and laid hands on a number of different people in ministry. And that was kind of like, if you like, a public recognition commissioning. So uh, I'm not saying that's how it would have to be with everyone, but for me, that seems to be, that's what, that was my experience. And it, and it seems to me to kind of accord with what I find in the scriptures, yeah, that you, you know, there's, a, there's, a, there's a personal sense of calling. There's a sense that that's affirmed by others, and then there's a release to yeah. public ministry. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Now, I would ask others if they have questions, but I want to stop. Okay. Because I think it will be far more beneficial right now is if there are people here who would appreciate Matthew praying with them, laying hands on them, to release them into the gift of prophecy. If you never prophesied before, I think many of us would appreciate that. 